The top law schools in the country are saying they're done playing the law school ranking game. Is this going to change everything when it comes to legal education or the legal industry writ large? Our guests today say, don't hold your breath. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Law schools hate law school rankings. That's one of the worst kept secrets of legal education, or honestly, it's really no secret at all. An assistant dean at Michigan Law School told Bloomberg Law's Vivia Chen that the rankings industrial complex led by the all-powerful U.S. News and World Report had essentially created a hostage situation. Either give us the data we want or your rank and your prestige gets it. Well, if we're going to extend this metaphor a bit, the top law schools in the country have now decided to essentially walk away from the hostage. These schools said they're not going to participate in the U.S. news rankings anymore, saying the pressure to boil down an entire school to one number creates perverse incentives to turn away poorer students or those that don't want to go into lucrative fields of law. Is this a watershed moment? Vivia doesn't think so, and she'll explain why in just a bit. But first, we'll hear from Bloomberg Law reporter Kaustuv Basu about what these schools actually did and why. So about a dozen of the highest-ranked law schools, they have moved away from the U.S. news listings. This includes Harvard and Yale and Berkeley. Uh, one reason is uh, they say that these rankings, they look at scholarships for high LSAT scores rather than you know scholarships for needy students. One other reason, there's not enough credit for programs that train lawyers to do public service. Yeah, it's sort of the debate between uh, you know merit versus need. Um, Vivia, you know, I I've heard a lot of stories going back a long way of law schools and law school officials saying that they can't stand these rankings that they it reduces their entire admissions process to a number. Um, why haven't they done this earlier? Why haven't law schools already pulled out before this? And why aren't more following the ranks of the ones that have just pulled out? All right. Well, those are two interesting questions. I mean, why didn't they do this earlier? Well, I think the reason the speculation is that some of the top schools are pulling out at this point in anticipation of the Supreme Court ruling that will ban affirmative action. So with that looming in the background, they want to have some kind of flexibility in how they admit students of color and other underrepresented groups. So that's one theory. That's really interesting, though, about the timing. And I guess I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense because to me, this seemed like something that had been coming for so long that I just wasn't really that surprised when it finally happened. But you're right. It didn't just happen randomly. It happened because the these schools are anticipating a adverse ruling from the Supreme Court. Right. As far as why more schools aren't doing this? Well, you know, that's <laughs> you're, you're talking about the crux of what I've been writing about, which is that dropping out of the law school rankings is really a game for elitist law schools to play. They're the ones who can afford to do so because they know that no matter what, they will be always viewed as the top law schools no matter what. So, you know, so they can say, the rest of you, you go vie for those rankings. You go vie for that top 25 to top 100 place. Hmm. Um, tell me about the rankings and their influence, Vivia. I get the sense that getting a good ranking in the U.S. News and World Report survey 
it's a lot more than just pre- uh, convincing prospective students to go to your law school. It also has to do with the uh, prestige of the jobs that your graduates get, and it even has to do with you know whether or not your graduates are eligible for pre- you know prestigious um, judicial appointments in some cases. Well, I think where it matters most, frankly, is still at the applicant level because those are people who are babes in the woods. They know nothing about, you know, where they should apply, where they're going to spend their money. So they really resort to something like the U.S. News World Report as their Bible. And they will, you know, apply and go to the law school, which has the highest ranking, which is totally understandable for the sake of their future marketability. Um, As far as the way employers look at it, I'm not 100% convinced that the rankings really mattered that much at that point. I think it it matters, again, more for those schools in the middling tiers, because that's where employers are thinking, gee, you know, University of Iowa got, I I really don't know much about the school. I know it's a state school. Maybe it's, maybe it's not bad, you know, and maybe it's, as good as University of Texas or something like that. But so they need that as a rough guy. Um, but as far as, you know, the top law schools, the top T, the T14 to even the top 20, I think people have such a fixed idea of what they are that it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, Stu, you wrote an interesting story uh, about this uh, in the context of diversity and not just looking at law school rankings, but also LSATs, because a lot of these law schools are now going test optional. Can you make the case for me or make the argument that, you know, pulling out of the U.S. News and World Report rankings and also going test optional could increase the diversity of the legal profession? Well, at least that's the argument that some folks are making. Uh, The heads of law schools that have shunned the U.S. news rankings said the metrics punish schools for bringing in low-income students from diverse backgrounds or by focusing heavily on LSAT scores and undergraduate grades. Um, Yale Law School Dean Heather Gurkin said that the U.S. rankings, U.S. news rankings are profoundly flawed. They don't support public interest careers. Uh, or champion need-based aid and welcome working-class students into their profession. Uh, About the LSAT, uh, I spoke with Anna Ivey, who's written a book called The Ivey Guide to Law School Admissions, and she said that the LSAT tends to favor wealthy applicants who can pay for expensive test prep and can afford to take the test again and again. Right. But, but, The American Bar Association, more than 50 law school deans, uh, wrote to the ABA in September. And they had concerns that eliminating the standardized test, the LSAT, uh, law schools, if that were to go away, law schools would be less willing to take a chance on students who do not perform well on GPA or other metrics, uh, these deans wrote in a letter. Yeah. Now, Vivi, I read your column, so I know what you think, but why don't you share with us why in your opinion, you know, law schools pulling out of U.S. news actually doesn't do anything for for diversity. You called it, I think, a, a nothing burger. Right, I did, and I totally stand by that. Um, it's it, how is this going to change law school diversity? You know, I I especially for the top law schools, which have which are largely the ones that have withdrawn from the game. 
I mean, if you look at the stats of the top law schools, they are actually doing quite well in terms of women and in terms of people of color. For instance, Harvard Law School right now, the last class, they have 54% women and 53% people of color. And Yale has 52% women and 55% people of color. So they don't, this is not gonna make a difference for them really. Uh, it's really for you know the law schools that's further down the food chain that maybe it'll make a difference. But then again, you know, it's I think it's kind of a a, a false hope that we're always uh, attaching to these maneuvers. To me, you know, the problem isn't so much who's getting into the law schools or whether diversity is reflected in those who are getting in. It's really what happens to those people once they're out in the profession? That's where you see diversity really suffering. You mean like where, you know, where they go after they graduate, what their debt burden is after they graduate, how, what kind of law they can practice? Is that what you're talking about? I talk about what kind of career they'll ultimately have, right? I mean, you know, I cover big laws. So if I look at the big law picture, uh, we don't see these fabulous percentages of women and people of color reflected in the partnership ranks. So that's really what I'm talking about. I think there are deeper, more systemic problems at work than whether you are opting in or out of the U.S. world rankings. Well, sticking with the column that you wrote on this, you took an interesting approach, which is that as Stu mentioned, around a dozen law schools have have pulled out. You focused on uh, the two that haven't, uh, Cornell and the University of Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about their reasons for continuing to provide U.S. news with data? Uh, I found those really fascinating. Well, let's talk about Cornell first, because that's an easy one. Uh, the dean of Cornell stated that there was no point really in not participating because the rankings will go on regardless. Uh, and I think he's right about that. Uh, but he also expressed a fair amount of anguish about, you know, the the rankings and how unfair they are. You know, basically echoing some of the remarks that the Yale dean had had made. Now, Chicago is a much more interesting place. Uh, why are they not pulling out the ranking? Well, you know, the dean made this rather flowery speech in my mind about how he wasn't going to pull out the rankings because he wanted to promote free expression and free opinions. And, you know, the suggestion was that somehow by taking themselves out of the rankings, that they will be uh, somehow hindering free speech. I mean, I personally just don't get the connection between free speech and participation in the rankings. But if you look deeper, I think there's a more, to me, a more obvious reasons why Chicago stay in the game. And that's simply because that they have finally broken into the top three rank of law schools to be elbowing out Harvard to get into the top trio is you know, a big thing. And so why mess with that when you know, you've been getting the go star? Yeah, that's just so fascinating. Sort of the the game between the game and and reading you know what they the reading between the lines of what they say and not just what they're saying and and just to reemphasize what vivia just said these law schools will still be featured in the rankings but just without their cooperation and with less information than us news currently has yeah all right finally you know 
I've seen a lot of sort of very almost breathless headlines saying, you know, this is going to change everything. Legal education, the whole legal profession is going to completely change now that these schools aren't participating in the law school rankings. I mean, I think as we've already discussed, I think both Vivia and Stu here uh, believe that is not the case. Um, what would go a long way toward making the legal profession or at least legal education more diverse? I, I would love to hear your opinions on what law schools could do to actually tangibly tackle the, the diversity problem. Stu, why don't we start with you? Well, um, you know, I, I, I want to end with what Aaron Chemerinsky, the dean at UC Berkeley's law school, told me when I was writing this story. Uh, it is much too soon to know what the impact of these developments will be on law schools and legal education. And when I was writing that story, uh, a variety of experts told me that, you know, uh, these things tend to change very slowly. And it, it is a worthy and a goal to aspire to, but it will take time. Vivia, I, I get the sense you think this is kind of, a, you know, window dressing. Um what do you think law schools could do that would not be window dressing? Well, you know, again, I, I guess I'm, I, I think in terms of, you, you can't just look at law, what law schools can do. You have to look at what the whole profession can do. Uh, law school is just really just the sort of the training ground. Uh, just as long as they open their doors to a diverse pool of people, which I think They've really made a major effort at doing so and have been, you know, fairly successful at maintaining that. Uh, I think one thing we have to remember is that we're really addicted to rankings, you know, because this is a profession which is credential obsessed. We all want to know our place in the hierarchy. Those things are not going to go away. And whether law schools participate in the rankings or not, that's really not going to change the picture very much. If it's not U.S. News and World Report that's ranking the law school, it will be some other media enterprise that's doing so. So I think it's it, it's not going to go away. And I think it's wishful thinking to think that rankings is somehow the culprit. I think as I said, there are just much more deeper issues involved. Those were the voices of Bloomberg Law's Vivia Chen and Kaustuv Basu. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Check out our website for more of our coverage. That website is news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.